Welcome in, everybody. It's another episode of the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. Uh, I'm Matt DeMarinas, and I'm joined, as always, by the uh, brains of the operation, Megan Ballinger. How, you were, how many times were you a captain? Uh, two years, my junior and senior year. Okay, so yeah, team captain, um, Dean's List, smart kid, good volleyball <laughs> player. They're just like totally perfect um on paper in every way so uh yeah she handles the uh talent portion of this and i just hit record um we're here to wrap up the uh blue jays um two and oh weekend at xavier and butler to start biggie's play um you know, I think this is going to be a fun little breakdown here because there's kind of a mixed bag, right? And I think I got that impression from just talking to you guys. Creighton is kind of like their own worst enemy in some ways, right? Because you could never be good enough every day, right? There's always something to improve on regardless of the results that seem to be the most consistent part of the whole deal. Um, what did you, What did you take away from the weekend, the overall performance – of the entire weekend. Did, did you, did you see the imperfections that show up in terms of like what Creighton standard is, regardless of the fact that they won, you know, again, six out of the seven sets they played. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought overall a good weekend. Um, obviously to get two wins is um, awesome to start off the geese play. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of like look at overall, like serving probably could have been cleaner. Um, Things like that, just, I mean, that coaches want to nitpick. Of course, serve and pass yeah. is always something. So um, there were times where they let other teams go on pretty lengthy, like, runs um, during both their matches, I thought. And that's something that you, you know, kind of like to reverse and hope that you can maybe go on more runs and limit runs for other teams. Um, so, yeah, from that aspect, I'm sure the coaching staff is, you know, picking away at the small things and they'll go back this week and work on them in practice. For sure. Let's start with the, the Butler match um, Friday in uh, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That one was interesting because, I mean, both teams, I thought, made it really tough to score. Um, you know, the, the hitting percentages weren't ever really flashy until, I think, set four for Creighton. It kind of got out of hand. But 92 digs for the Jays was a, a season high. And I think it's actually – the most they've had in a match, a four-set match, excuse me, since uh, the 2014 NCAA tournament match against Oregon State. So I think it predates your playing days even. Um, that's a yep. staggering number to me, it felt like, but I don't know if that necessarily translates to, uh, you know, great defensive floor coverage, you know. Um, but, like, Butler was as advertised. Like you said last week, they they – they, they change speeds really well. They don't ever – they're not really predictable from a standpoint of how they're going to attack. Um, what did you think of, you know, just first of all, Creighton's um, response to the way Butler was attacking them with the, with the, you know, changing the speeds on tips and, you know, finding different ways to put the ball down on the other side? Yeah, I thought they did a really, really nice job. I think the first set, Butler was hitting like 0-28 um, yeah. after that set. So, I mean, that's just crazy. And um, you look to like just digs, like Abby had 31 digs in the entire match, which is kind of crazy for a four-set match, For sure, I think. Um, and then across the board, too, Kendra had 18, Nora had 14, Jayla had 17 digs. So, and Keely had 11 digs, too. So, um, crazy numbers, yeah, I can't believe 92 digs that's a lot of digs for a four set match but um overall i thought it was good and then blocking too um they had 18 total blocks so i think that's really helpful especially for the defense behind them to get set up and be in the right position mm -hmm. probably the the serve receive was a little shaky in that one i think you know butler was doing um a good job short serving them and maybe I think Kirsten was a little bit disappointed in, in the way that the team adjusted to that a little bit, maybe the, the lack of adjusting to the fact that Butler was consistently going with that tactic from the service line. What did you see as far as how much of a problem that created for Creighton in, in that first contact? Yeah, I think it did create issues. And I mean, when that happens in a team serving short, I mean, your hope is that, okay, we, you see them serve it like once and then you adjust and so if it drags on multiple points it just gets really frustrating like okay they've been doing this like 
let's get it. Let's move our feet and let's pass a good ball so we can run our offense. So I think it did disrupt them and kind of allowed them to go on the runs too um, from their service line and yeah. kind of put Crane a little bit out of system when they weren't passing good balls. What's the tough part about the short serves? Because, you know, they're kind of that in, in, in the donut area, that in-between area where it's, um, you know, can a front row player turn around and just kind of pop it up or does a back row player need to get a two-step approach to it and make the first contact and, you know, when you get it in between the zones like that, then it's like, okay, is it yours? Is it mine between the backs? Like what, what, you know, what do you see as the toughest part of a whole team on the other side in terms of how to read that and who should take it? Yeah, I think it's just a lot of it's communication, but like you said, they'll drop the ball in gaps. And especially if you have a setter like transitioning to set and they're putting it over like where she's running, then it just gets really confusing. And you have certain players, too, that you probably more would want to take a short ball if they're a front row player. There's certain, I mean, front row players that probably have a little bit more, like, ball control and could pass that ball a little bit better. And mm-hmm. you have some other ones that probably aren't as comfortable, so you'd want your back row to take it if they can. So it just creates a lot of, like, questions and people sometimes looking at each other, like, who's going to take it and um, just can kind of disrupt, like, the flow of everything that's normal. Because usually, you know, you're used to the balls. Okay, going to go to the back row and I won't have to do anything up here in the front. You know, I'm just going to yeah. transition and try to hit, but it just kind of creates one more thought before you can like get into your hitting process. Yeah, you definitely, and you saw it with, it, it got Creighton out of system, right? There was a lot of out of system swings. I mean, the good thing for Creighton is they have, you know, Jayla Zimmerman and Nora Sis who can, you know, who can handle that out of system ball pretty well and still get it down for a kill in most instances. But that still makes Creighton pretty inefficient offensively. That's kind of what you're what you're looking for there. Um, so you look at the hitting percentages just set to set. It's two hundred five and one, um, one fifty and two, one sixty seven and three. Those were pretty low numbers for Creighton's offense. But set four was four fifty. So Creighton had eighteen kills. I mean that's absurd. I see you yep. laughing. So eighteen <laughs> kills, one error on forty swings in set four. Did, was it a was something something happen in service Did they finally adjust to, you know, those off tempo serves that Butler was putting over the net? Or what changed in terms of Creighton being able to stay in system and terminate at a higher rate in Game Four? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think they really they did pass better and um, you know just a little bit more like level. I thought everything across the board was a little bit better. And I mean to have one error of forty swings is crazy i mean you're not gonna lose many sets if you only have one error and you're getting 18 kills out of those 40 attempts so um yeah i thought it was it was good and jayla had seven kills in that stretch i think on like 11 attempts in that set so um really good numbers from her and then i mean you just you mean business i guess you're putting up those kinds of numbers and after getting beat in that third set i'm sure they were like let's close it out and let's move on with the weekend that's the one thing I'm glad you brought up Jayla because that was the one thing I noted down here that I wanted to talk about. <clears throat> I don't know how I feel like Jaylee Winters was really good at kind of getting heated up from a hitter standpoint, but I don't know how unusual it is for a pin hitter who plays six rotations like Jayla does, right? And Jaylee did too where you're dealing with first contact a lot, like the team wants you to, to make the first pass. And then if you get the third, the third contact, that's, they, they usually feel like that's a good percentage play for them because it's making you as a hitter work harder than you probably want to, in terms of if you just come in for a front row rotation, you just take all your swings and then you go to the bench when it's time to go to the back row, like Jayla handles all of that. Right. So first contact, third contact, she got so much better after intermission, I think she hit one, um, one forty something, right in the first two sets. So not yeah. up, not efficient by any means, right? Um, and then five fifty in sets three and four, mm-hmm. where and she averaged six and a half kills per set as a six rotation player. To get that much sharper as the match gets into the latter stages, what is that's 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 special stuff, right? I mean how. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it just, I mean, it looks like she just kind of got in her flow, you know, of yeah. passing and then taking an approach. And sometimes it, it's nice too. I mean, it's, it's difficult to pass and then have to go hit, but it's, it's also nice. Cause I mean, you, you see the whole court and you have a really nice long approach and 
you kind of, if you're in rhythm and you just kind of get in the zone, you're passing and then you're swinging out and you're taking really good approaches and swinging. So it's nice from that standpoint. And I mean, maybe part of it was she kind of figured out their servers a little bit better mm-hmm. um, as the match went on and just, you know, kind of got in that flow and was just taking really big swings after, you know, passing nails. Yeah. Is there, is there mm-hmm. a work ethic component to that that kind of goes unseen? I mean, for everybody watching the match, it just, we look at the numbers on paper, but is that, is that something that's done in June, July, you know, when the conditioning workouts are really difficult and you're probably looking for excuses not to work hard that day because you've, there's gotta be an element of fatigue coming into play, right? When you're in these grinder sets and this team's pushing you um, and you haven't been very efficient. So you're kind of already frustrated. So you might be in your own head a little bit um, to not only mentally lock in to that degree, to hit that, to the hit that well, six and a half kills per set at five fifty hitting percentage from an outside, a six rotation outside. Like how much of that goes to like speaks to the work she put in before this season or, you know, in the training and everything like that to make sure she's in the right, condition to to do that when it matters yeah I mean I think a lot of it is a lot of it's strength and conditioning um like you said and a lot of it too is spending time with um Molly in the training room I mean she's an older player so I mean I know she spends a lot of time in there and did even when she was younger but just making sure she's healthy and can keep taking you know tough swings you know when it comes down to it and you're tired and um, you know, just making sure that your body's in a condition that she's ready to go, even if it goes into four or five sets and she's just, you know, she works really hard and it's, it's shown and she's, she's getting rewarded. Uh, so it's awesome. It's awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, let's transition a little bit to your former position at Butler. Um, Naomi Hickman and Kiana Schmidt uh, combined for 18 kills. Um, they hit 333. Uh, what did you think of the middle attack uh, from Creighton in that match? Yeah, I liked it. And um, for both of them to hit 333, um, that's pretty good numbers. And I'm sure, I mean, it looked like they were in good positions from what I saw. And um, I thought they ran the slide pretty well. Um, they keep trying to go, go to it and kind of work out those tweaks of uh, making it a really consistent attack for them. Um, so I liked that and they kept going to it and, um, kind of seeing what they could do, but yeah, I mean, I think overall for Kiana to get 15 attempts and Naomi to get 21, I think those are really good numbers for a four set match and, um, just for the middles and what Creighton usually does. What, what, what do you see so far? In, uh, you know, in terms of what seems like an efficient play, you mentioned the slide and then there's the one like, um, seems like the slide has been more efficient so far at this point in the season for Creighton than the one has. Yeah, I think, I think some of it too, Kendra seems a little bit more comfortable going behind on the slide um, as opposed to the one and maybe just seeing her hitters on the one. It seems like sometimes there's a little bit of like, I don't know, disarray in the, in the middle on the one. I'm just as far as like pushing it um, to the correct spot and finding her hitters. But um, yeah, I think if they can get the slide down, I mean, the slide's really hard to block from an opposing standpoint team. So, um, yeah, if they can keep running it and running it consistently with both their middles. I think it'll put them in a good position and then hopefully and you'll kind of see that connection come with the one. So they have some different options and can move their middles around a little bit more. What's the key to uh, executing the one really well? It seems like that's kind of a tough, um, something, something you don't see very often. Like it's not a high, it's not a high, uh, usage play. Right. But what needs to happen from a serve and pass standpoint, a setter position standpoint? Um, you know, do you need to have all three hitters up when you go to it, or is it a two-ball option? Like, what, what what are the factors that go into the one being a high percentage play at that moment? Uh, I mean, a lot of it, obviously, you need to pass well because you want to run it right along the net. So, I mean, that's the first thing. And then, I mean, a lot of it is honestly, like, feel for from your setter to your hitter, too, and – um, just like kind of feeling them because if you're running it really quick, I mean, you don't have much margin for error there. Um, so, I mean, your middles have to stay open and off the net and then hopefully um, she can hit you and just kind of like your window of where you can hit it. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is honestly like feel it's just your middle blocker communicating and then just the setter kind of like feeling exactly where to put it. So a lot of it's just like reps and reps and reps and 
Yeah. Um, then you'll kind of get it and get used to the different like heights too that people hit the ball at can be different or the speeds. Like when I was a middle, like I just wanted to run everything really fast. And um, like Naomi and Kiana don't run it maybe quite as fast as like I would prefer. So that's just kind of like the feel of it and knowing kind of like give them a little bit more um, height on the ball so they can swing and get on top of it. Yeah, that's the one thing I, I see with like when there's a misconnection, it's usually a height related issue like the ball is just not quite high enough and Naomi will have to tip it or won't get a full swing at it Naomi's in a difficult position too and I don't know if it's something that kind of goes unsaid but she's had to adjust to different hitters like her entire career or set setters excuse me her entire career like she started with Lydia Dimke um, then it was Madeline Cole you know then it was Ali Van Ekren and Mahina Pua and then now it's Kendra Waite like is that challenging from just the hitting standpoint of that middle blocking position for her to have to um, figure out the timing uh, of different setters every, every, you know, as often as she has, I guess, throughout her career. Yeah, I, I definitely think it is, especially a lot of it goes into like the height of your setter. So like somebody like Lydia was six, three, so she's taking the ball at a lot higher point and kind of near where Naomi is just mm -hmm. naturally. And Kendra's a little shorter, so she's going to take the ball a little bit lower and then it kind of has to rise before you can hit it. So certain things like that come into it. So that's why you'll see a lot of setters like jump setting the one because mm -hmm. typically you have really, I mean, tall middles usually. So it, if they can contact the ball a little bit higher near the point of contact of where your hitter is going to be, then it's a little bit easier for the middle just to like see the ball and get on top of it. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And Naomi is a pretty big physical middle, right? For Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> one thing about Kendra this weekend, she served. Um, so that was something a new wrinkle for Creighton. She hadn't been doing that throughout the non-con. Uh, what what happens in training that just I don't know clicks with the coaching staff? It's like okay, let's let let's put Kendra into our serving rotation here. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted some more continuity of just keeping her on the floor. It could okay. be that. I mean, they just want her on the floor to maybe set through that rotation or, you know, maybe she was hitting the ball well in practice when she was serving and they thought, okay, let's, let's leave her in and see kind of what happens. And I mean, they're tracking all of that. So um, just kind of seeing, I guess, if she can put pressure on the other team, but yeah, I don't know the rhyme or reason really behind why, but um, yeah, leaving her on there, it didn't seem to, you know, negatively impact at all. So it was kind of nice to see her serve and, they could just kind of stay in their rhythm with the same setter. Um, so that was nice. And I thought she did a good job. Yeah. Let's move on to the Xavier match a little bit. This one was a little bit, um, I guess, more convincing, right? Probably an easier day at the office, if you will. The The second, the, the second set was, was a, was probably the, the decider because Xavier pushed him a little bit and had a 20 to 16 lead and um, Creighton finished on a nine to two run to win that. I think, I don't know. I, it just seemed like David Xavier was a little bit deflated in set three. Like it's going to be tough to, they had gone through a five setter where they overcame an O2 deficit the night before against Providence to have to face the same situation against Creighton probably felt like too daunting of a task. Cause I felt like Creighton um, came out in set three and really didn't let it be dram dramatic at all. Like that was a pretty decisive set from the first point on. Right. So what, what, what impressed you about that performance overall um, coming off the four setter against Butler where, you know, there were some inconsistencies in serve receive and, um, but, you know, it just, again, it seemed like a, a, a business-like performance where they didn't really mess around with Xavier very much. Yeah, I thought overall um, they did a nice job. The first set, I mean, was all great and really 25-11 they yeah. won, so. Um, I thought they were locked in on defense really to start um, in that first set and they got rewarded for it. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the second set, um, just I thought like even the second set, the first point, um, the Xavier outside just like swung away and got like a big kill on the first point. And I think that kind of, you know, started a little bit more momentum for them than maybe they had in the first set. And um, I thought Xavier too got their slide working with their middles a little bit. Mm -hmm. They kind of ran out of full slide, but they ran it in like the gap. Um, so I think that just creates a little bit different look for Creighton um, blocking wise. Um, and they adjusted to it, but I thought, you know, they kind of got some kills on it before maybe um, Creighton adjusted. And 
Um, I thought passing broke down a little bit too in the second set for Creighton, but yeah, there were I a lot of like that. Was, passing was a big issue early on in set two, right? That was kind of what was yeah, them. yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, I thought that hurt them, and yeah, they were down like 13, 17. and um, just I think that was all passing really. Yeah. Um, they just couldn't run their offense. Um, but yeah, then they just kind of traded points back and forth in the second set and. Um, Megan Skosendy came in and went on a pretty good run. So I thought that was really nice to see. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they pulled it out. So that was awesome. But yeah, they definitely got pushed a little bit more in that second set. And then, yeah, the third set was pretty much all Creighton again. I think, you know, Xavier maybe was deflated, like you said, and, yeah. um, you know, didn't really put as much pressure on them in the third set. When you look at, um, the again, we, we talked about the 92 digs, right, from the Butler match. The pace that Creighton was on in this one was a, was kind of around that 23 digs per set pace that the Butler one was on. So even though it's not the same dig total, you know, again, 68 digs in three sets, that's a, that's, that's a high number in my opinion. Like, I feel like, he, so there's something from a match-to-match standpoint, and I think it was maybe the South Dakota match where I think um, the South Dakota coach, I think, noted that Creighton was just – you know, the best defensive team they've seen all year in terms of their floor coverage. So when you look at now, when you look at the dig numbers, is there something that's, you know, transferable when you look at say, all right, these aren't just like flukes here. This team is really good at covering the floor, backing up blockers, uh, reading and reacting communicating. Cause if the, if you're at 20 plus digs per set, I feel like you're a pretty good defensive team. Is that, fair to say from a from a statistical standpoint yeah I agree and I think I think you see the blocking and defense kind of like go hand in hand I mean they had 17 blocks um and 68 digs so I think I mean I don't think there's been a match this year where their blocking numbers have been you know like down significantly um so I think you kind of see that just I think they really go hand in hand just because of how the blockers are set up and then the defense can really read behind them and I mean, defensively too, I think they really, they're pretty scrappy. I think maybe more scrappy than I've like seen of some Creighton teams. They're just, you know, getting digs, sometimes throwing out like one hand and getting a good up and just kind of like throwing their bodies around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really fun to watch too. And that kind of defense is really fun. And um, then they're able to run their offense out of it. So I think it's, yeah, it's really impressive. And those blocking and dig numbers are just really awesome. Yeah, I think Keeley Davis, Abby Bottomley, they both – had uh, really difficult digs, those hard low dr- line drive balls that you have to get, you know, into a pretty low stance, like, you know, lay out on the floor, keep it up. Keely, that's tough too, because she's 6'2", I think. So that's not easy for her to get down that low and handle that type of a, a ball that's hit that hard at that low of an angle, right? So that was impressive yeah. a lot by her. You, you mentioned Megan Skosindi, um, not only from a serve standpoint, but I thought – there's a lot of times where Creighton will put a serving specialist in. And then if the, the other team stays in the system, they go right after that server defensively. Right. But I thought Megan did a good job of handling those balls in those situations where she was brought in to serve. Um, I just, I just think this team is as much as they have a lot of offensive parity with the, the options they can go to. I think there's something to uh this consistency from them defensively, I, you know, even without Kiara Reinhardt on the block, which would have been, you know, would, would obviously would make the block even better. But I think defensively they're, they cover the floor pretty well. Uh, one of the, I think one of the better Creighton teams at doing that, that, that we've seen in the last few years, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, like you said, there was one ball Keely got, she was in right back and I almost thought the ball was down. Yeah. Um, just from how hard the ball came and she got under it that I was like dang like I you know I don't think I'd seen her do maybe that before and um, I just thought that was awesome and then yeah Abby there was one too where she just like kind of flew in with one arm and mm-hmm. got a really nice up and then they were able to transition and get a kill but it's really fun to watch it's it's really awesome yeah she sealed set two with a with a slick one-handed like just stick the wing out and punch it up yeah and, like that's <laughs> that has to be such a huge momentum play for you to see because that ball feels like it's 90% going down. Right. And then your, your libero just sticks her arm in there and gets it up and then you get a kill off of it. Like how much of a, to, to so win the set. Right. So it's a, not only yeah. an elevation for you from an energy standpoint, but it has to deflate Xavier too. Right. 
for sure. And I mean, for Abby too, that's an awesome up. And then, yeah, they get a kill out of it. I think then you just get even more rewarded. And then you're looking at, you're looking at her like, dang, like great up. And we're so glad she's back there. You know, she's yeah. flying in there and just touching every ball almost. I thought it, and, and probably Nora, like I thought left side blocking for Nora, especially late in set two was a big reason why they were able to come back. I thought her touches got better and she got, I think she got a block assist and a, and a, and a solo stuff too on that left side in terms of her setup and um, just being able to get hands on the ball. Did you feel like Nora kind of got better at, at uh, reading hitters as the match went on, especially late in that second set? Yeah, I thought she was seeing the slide really well um, over there on the left side and yeah, she got a big block. I think it was 18-20 in the second set. They were down, and I thought that really gave them some momentum because she just had a huge stuff block. Um, so that definitely can be a momentum change, especially um, when they'd been trading points a little bit more. Um, and then, yeah, Megan Scosendi came in and went on a serving run. So, I mean, those two things together just kind of propelled them to win there in that second set. I'm going to start a series of, like, kind of Nora-centric questions here, but <laughs> I thought I thought in that first set against Xavier, her serving rotation I thought was really effective for Creighton. I think they outscored Xavier eight to two with her behind the line. So that's that's so she's a that the back row hitter, right? Jayla's in the front. Um, I think Kiana was on the right side and Naomi in the middle. So what 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 did you see in from that rotation that made Creighton really potent? The rotation where where Kent, where uh, Nora was serving. Yeah, I thought she was just putting in really good float serves. And then um, the defense was set up. I think it, it might have been Annika on the right side. Um, oh, okay, that's a good call. She was back in the lineup. And then, yeah, Kiana was opposite of um, Naomi. But, um, yeah, I think you just had three really good blockers who had a lot of experience up there. I mean, you had Jayla, Naomi, and then Annika. So those are three really tall blockers and mm -hmm. um, putting up good blocks. And I thought Annika did a really nice job on the right side. Um, so it was just easier for them to set up their defense, I thought, behind them. And then, um, yeah, Nora, even after she's serving, she's in there, and I thought she was getting some good digs. And then they were able to transition and continue that run with her back there. Yeah, the dig transition is probably really important there because Nora has to has responsibilities to back up the blockers, to communicate, to get digs. And then I think you trust her as an outside – or as a, as a back row hitter, right? You can – if it's an out-of-system ball, Kendra seems to have some confidence to to throw it up to her and, and let her take a good hack at it from that from that middle back position, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And I thought this weekend, too, I thought they ran the back row really well. I thought previously I'd seen a couple um, different back row attacks that maybe it was set a little bit too far, like, behind. Okay. Because typically you want to lead them, and you almost want them to, like, be jumping through it and, like, land at the net almost from the yeah. back row. Yeah. So there were times I thought um, the past couple weekends where maybe it, you know, wasn't leading them enough. So you'd see them kind of like take some power off. But I thought this weekend they were, for the most part, able just to really jump through the ball and get some good, like powerful swings from their back row attack. And there's a trick there to that, too, because the back row hitter can't go above the net, right? If they're behind the 10 foot line. Is that correct? So they can get, yeah, they can go above, they can go above the net. They can't, so they can't step on the like three meter or 10 foot line. So yeah. they can't step on it and they can't step in front of it. Okay. So like sometimes you'll see them take an approach and maybe they like turn their foot a little bit or something so that they're not like going forward and stepping on the line. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you have to take off behind it, but you can land in front of it and you can swing above the plane of the net you just have to keep your feet behind the time gotcha. line so there's a there's an art to that too then from a technique standpoint it's different than just winding up in the front row and taking a huge hack your footwork has to be on point otherwise you're giving a point to the other team if you're even for even swing right yeah definitely and you'll see teams run it too like they'll run it at like a one tempo so like as fast as you'd go with your middle blocker in the front row it, it's called a bick in the back row so it's, it's like a what? fast back row. It's called a BIC is what they call it. A BIC. Okay. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a really, it's a fast, like one tempo ball in the back row in the middle. So you'll see that Creighton doesn't run it too much, but like, it's basically like a faster back row attack instead of kind of like setting it and having it kind of more like rainbow tempo, mm -hmm. they'd run it like quick. And so they just like be on it. And it's really hard for the blockers on the other side to set up because the tempo is so fast. 
Gotcha. This might be a really stupid question, so feel free to laugh, but is that a mashup of back row attack and quick? Is that what that is a mashup? I don't know, actually. I I don't know the the meaning behind the name. I just know that it's called called, that. Okay. (laughs) It's good to know. Yeah, that's all I know. Yeah. Uh, Kiana was kind of like the silent assassin here. Uh, Eight kills, 389 hitting, six blocks. I think six blocks tied her career high, if I'm not mistaken. That might be that might not be true. I think she might have a seven match blocks block match, but either way, eight kills, six six blocks from from Kiana. When you're, I mean, from a scouting report standpoint, you're like Naomi's a stud. You know, Annika can hit well. Kiana's had double digit kill matches. She can block like um, <laughs> from that state. And then you're obviously dealing with Jayla and Nora. And then oh yeah. If they stick Keely in the front row, she's had a 30 kill match before. So, um, but to see Kiana kind of be, you know, another cog in the offense here, especially as efficient as she was with the 389 hitting and the 18 swings, that's pretty tough to deal with, right? Yeah. And I thought a lot of those um, kills were on that slide. And yeah. I think she runs the slide really well. Mm-hmm. And when she hits it, she maybe isn't the flashiest like power hit every single time. But it makes it really hard for the other side's defense because she hits it at such a high point, and she'll almost like float it cross court, like to one, which is the right back area. Yeah, and that's an area usually where your setter is transitioning, and your middle back's probably not shifting over there. So mm-hmm. a lot of teams really don't cover that position of the court really well um, defensively. So I think she gets a lot of her kills that way, and um, it's consistent, and it's usually a kill if she hits it over there. So she's got some 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 sophistication to her game, right? Her 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 thing is about getting up quick and then cutting a good angle to get a kill, as opposed to yeah, I think she yeah yeah I think she does, and you'll see her too, like kind of sneak in that really short tip every once in a while, and I think she disguises that well. So she she kind of has those options, and she knows when to go to them, and can kind of see the defense, which is really impressive. Gotcha. Uh, back to Nora though, eight kills, fifteen digs. Three aces, four blocks, both of those categories there, I think, tie her season high, career high, whichever you want to do it for freshmen. But I thought it was one of her more all-around matches. Um, you know, she's had some double-doubles and some high-dig matches with some high kill, some good, like, hitting performances. I think 152, she probably isn't going to love the 152 hitting percentage. But, you know, when you're looking at eight kills in four sets and you're you're – playing a lot of back row because your, your serving rotation is doing really well um, to get the three aces, 15 digs and four blocks added onto that on, added onto your offensive production. Um, you know, I feel like that's something that that's a confidence builder for her, even though she probably isn't going to love her hitting percentages. Right. Yeah. She probably won't love that hitting percentage. I think, I mean, she didn't make too many errors, which I think is, is great to see, but yeah, from a kill standpoint, she probably liked to add a few more kills um, of those total 33 attempts. Um, but yeah, from the service line, I thought she did really well. And then blocking too, I thought she had some really big like momentum blocks, mm-hmm. some big blocks, and I thought she was set up well. And um, then yeah, digs, 15 digs is second on the team in um, that match. So that's impressive um, from a middle back and somebody who's who's in there and maybe, you know, not in the back row for six rotations but for sure yeah it's awesome she did a really really good job i think all around yeah i think it's just it's probably big for her because i think as a as someone who is a high volume hitter um you can your confidence can probably win pretty easily if you're not getting a lot of kills like like you said there might not be a lot of errors with that but the fact that there's kind of like a, a big discrepancy between the kill number and the attempts number could probably get in your head as a hitter, right? When you feel like the ball is just not going down, even if it's not getting blocked or going out um, where you're costing your team points, you feel like your job as a hitter is to put the ball down. And if it's not going down, that could probably, you know, get into your head mentally a little bit, right? And you could probably, it could probably affect other areas of your game. So to, that's what I think was the most impressive part for to out of that was that, she had the eight kills. It was a low error match for the most part, but it was it wasn't the most efficient offensive performance. Yet she still served up three aces. She still got Xavier out of the system a lot. The fifteen digs are big um, because that means she's seeing the ball well and she's keeping the team in system. 
Um, and then, like you said, the four blocks came at big times. They were momentum plays. So I think this might be a, a, a match to watch in terms of what happens to Nora's performances going forward because there's probably an element of like, okay, she's on film a little bit more. Teams can scout her, figure out tendencies, um, and it's up to her to kind of make an adjustment at this point now. I think a match like this where there's kind of an all-around contribution shows a little bit of how she's handling that adjustment phase because even though her hitting numbers weren't high, she still contributed in a lot of areas that helped them win the match. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, every day is not going to be your day as a hitter, right? I mean, yeah. sometimes that's hard for younger players to kind of learn. Um, so if it's not your day hitting wise, you I mean, you have to concentrate on hopefully another aspect of your game. And I mean, she's in there for six rotations impacting the game in so many ways. So if it's not her day hitting wise, then I mean, go all out on defense and, you know, hopefully the hitting will come and you'll work yourself into getting some kills. Um, but yeah, you kind of just have to work your way through it. And I mean, it's a couple sets and I mean, the momentum can swing anyway in any set. So um, just to contribute in a different way, maybe that's not the typical way. It's still really important and impacts the team overall. What was the key for you? I know it's not, you know, quite a one-to-one situation with in terms of the positions you played, but what's the strategy because I know you played angry a lot so what's the strategy for you when there's like some self-talk there or just some um some just some internal dialogue where you're like all right you know they blocked me there I didn't get the ball down here um how do you move on to the next point quickly without letting it affect you um, I think if you can, I mean, if you respond well to like asking a teammate or somebody who plays your position I think like talking it out sometimes so like, okay, where's their block set up? Where's their defense? Um, just like strategizing. I think that was really helpful for me personally. And then, I mean, if I'm not getting a lot of kills sometime, then I'm, you know, hopefully locked in on blocking and just, I want to touch every ball or, you know, get stuff blocked. So um, yeah, just concentrating on parts of your game um, that can, you know, be elevated as the match goes on, I think was really important for me. And I mean, yeah, I think I played a little bit better when I was a little like angry or pissed off. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of people, that's not the case. So um, yeah, I don't know. It just depends. You really just have to kind of find your rhythm and find how you play best. I think it's just your edge. It was probably just the, like angry is probably not the right word for it. There was an edge to your game when you were playing well, I guess. Like oh, yeah. you, you get a kill and then you just like throw the ball, like, or they block you, you throw the ball to the other side, like, fine, you go, serve, I'll get you next time kind of thing. Um, uh, what did I want to touch on again in this one? I forgot already. <laughs> I wrote it down, and uh, I can't remember where I was at. Oh, uh, Kendra, uh, Kiana and Annika. Again, this kind of speaks to their parody a little bit. So against Butler, it was kind of Kiana and Naomi. And in this one, it was Kiana and Annika. They had – they they hit 367 combined at Xavier, 13 kills in those four sets. Um, when the connection wasn't quite there for Naomi between Naomi and Kendra, right? So that the options there are just impressive because for from Xavier's standpoint, you feel like all right, um, Naomi's not killing us today, but you know Kiana's at 389. And Annika's at 333, and they both only have two errors between them in 30, 30 swings. Like, from an offensive standpoint, that's an embarrassment of riches almost from Creighton's standpoint, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, you look at just the attempts, too. I think that's a really good indicator. Um, and for Kendra, obviously, like, you're not looking at the stats of how many attempts that you've given each player, but yeah. um, during the match. And then afterwards, I mean, you'll maybe look or your coaches will kind of tell you, like, you spread it out well. Um, but yeah, for Nora, she had 33 attempts, Jayla 39. I mean, normal numbers for a Creighton offense who goes to their outside. I mean, majority of the time. And then, yeah, for Kiana to have 18 attempts, Annika to have 12. Um, and then Kendra had 10 um, and Naomi had 11. So I think that just, it spread it out well. And Kiana got maybe a few more than, I mean, Annika or Naomi. Um, but I think just overall, I think it was spread really well, um, which is hard to do, especially a younger setter and, um, just kind of getting everyone involved and hopefully finding gaps and blocks for your hitters. But yeah. I think it was impressive just the way she spread it out. That's a good sign for your, from your, that your passing is probably on point, right? Cause you're, you have as many options at the net. If, if, if it's not a, you know, a Jayla Nora, 
you know, when they're when they're in the 80s in terms of their attack, they were at 72 this time. But you get 41 attempts for your middle and right side hitters. That's probably an indication that you're passing pretty well, especially compared to the the Butler match where I think Jayla was well, she had a season high 58 attacks, and then Nora was at 46. That's 104 right there in a four set match. Here they were at 72 and three. And then your middle and right side attack is getting 42 attempts. Like that's probably a, an indication that Creighton was in system more and passing better, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, they passed pretty well. So, I mean, she had her options and you kind of pick whoever hopefully had a one-on-one situation. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought really impressive, just spread of everyone and really good parity for the entire match. Yeah. And then the seven kills on 10 attempts for Kendra, right? So, um, you know, it's tough for a setter because you've got so much offensive firepower at your disposal that it's probably easy to go, you know, I'm only going to try to dump it like four times here and I'm going to make sure everybody gets, gets some love. But, you know, 10 isn't a big number, but if you're killing the ball seven times out of those, out of those attempts and you're not making an error, it feels like from a setter standpoint, she's reading the floor pretty well, right? Because she's not just taking – risky chances and getting lucky like there were times where she put the ball down and there was no one in the vicinity of where she was throwing it right so did you see something that like an opening in Xavier's defense that Kendra was exploiting there or did she just get into a rhythm and feels like if the ball is too tight to the net I can just put it somewhere and get get a kill I mean I think that she picked her spots really well and I mean a lot of it is like in the flow of the game just kind of like feeling out where their defense is Mm -hmm. um and some of it is like as points go on too, blockers will kind of spread and they won't get back to you like their base position which is a little bit more like towards the middle Mm -hmm. um so then you have gaps in your block um but I think even just like throughout this season I think early in the season you'd see her maybe throw over a ball and it wasn't wasn't maybe a kill right away or you know the defense was like set up and I thought this weekend, she just did a really good job of, like, picking her points to, like, you know, kind of chuck the ball over. Like, she really puts it down with some authority. And so I think she's just kind of, like, figuring out the flow of it and when she should, you know, go to herself and call her a number and um, get the kill for her team. I think she's getting a better feel for it, too. I think, yeah. I, I, you know, early, I think there were times early on in the non-con where, you know, she would chuck a ball and it would be, like, two – a good two feet behind the service line. She would throw it so hard. Um, I thought, I think against Xavier on, on, on Saturday, there was a lot of times where she was throwing it off a back row defender, you know, to the point where they're kind of, it's like kind of ricocheting off them. So the power is still there, but I think she's getting a better feel for, you know, the, the, the distance of where she needs to put that thing for it to be a high percentage play, you know, instead of just trying to chuck it to an open spot of the court, if I just make an aggressive approach to it and, you know, throw it at a certain angle with the same power behind it, um, it's probably, it's tough for the defense to get a hold of it. Right. And, and get it up. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's, it's so good too, for your offense. If you have an active setter, mm-hmm. I mean, just from a standpoint, like if the ball is tight and the middle blocker jumps with your setter, you have nobody for your middle. So I think okay. some of that is, you know, just like picking her spots too. And, as much as she can make herself a threat, the defense really has to buy into, you know, making sure she doesn't get a kill. And so then they're worried about her and then she can set her hitters and hopefully have one-on-one situations or just no block at all. Yeah. And so hopefully you'll see kind of that develop. I haven't really seen that um, for Creighton, but especially like on that one ball, that's a great time to go to a middle. If they jump with her and she reads it and she can find like Naomi um, or Kiana there on the one, I mean, they'll have no block and it'll just be a kill. So yeah. that's kind of the fun part of like the puzzle of it all. I think like, that part's fun for me. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, cause it, cause it goes to what you said when you, I mean, three hitters up is what you want, right? That's the ideal. Cause then you're just, you're making it a guessing game on the other side of the net pretty much. Um, but with Creighton, with Creighton's ability to put the ball down in different ways, if you have three hitters up plus Kendra can put can find an opening and she's getting into a rhythm of, you know, getting a good feel for it. Oh, and then she's also got a back row hitter who's usually Nora Sis or Jayla Zimmerman or Keely Davis. That's five options if you're in system. I mean, what do you do defensively at that point? (laughs) You're just like, I pray it's 
on target that I can get it up or get a touch on it. Yeah. You're almost at there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If Creighton's in system and has other options, it's, it's really hard for the block and for just the defense back there of, you know, it's kind of like, okay, who are they going to go to? Especially with the parity that they've established. It just makes it so much harder from a defensive standpoint. For sure. Let's uh, move on to what uh, the Jays have next week. Uh, next weekend, excuse me. Um, Friday, they'll be at St. John's. Uh, Saturday at Seton Hall. Um, this will be the first time they've played either of those teams since uh, 2019, so your senior season. So the first one Ooh. is the Johnnies here, which I can already see in your face that you're like, I wish I was playing in this match because the last time they you guys played, they beat you in the conference tournament and your conference okay. tournament streak. So is that in, like, is, is Jayla, Naomi, Keeley, everybody that was kind of a part of that, is that going to be something that's in their heads this weekend in terms of preparation? Just like, hey, lock in for this because we kind of owe them one. And it's a rare opportunity for Creighton to bring an edge to them instead of just, a, like, let's focus on our on getting better and – um, making sure, you know, we're locked into scout. Like, it's probably going to be pretty easy for them to get locked in for this one, right, considering the last time they played. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that kind of gives you an extra chip on your shoulder is good, um, just as some motivation. But, yeah, I think, I mean, St. John's is a really, like, emotional team. So, mm-hmm. at times, they'll be really up or really down. So, if, if they're up and they're really, like, riding a wave of just, like, playing really well, I mean, they can be a really tough team to play, which we saw when I was there. Um, in my last season but yeah it'll be an interesting matchup it always is um with St. John's so it's just you kind of never know St. John's sometimes will play really really well um, but they just kind of I don't know they just ride away it's just you don't really know like what team's gonna show up every time you play them but it'll be it'll be fun it's always a fun match against them I think there was like a little they had they had fun with beating Creighton and Marquette that weekend there was some like they were doing a lot of dancing and like a lot uh, you know a lot of like celebration stuff that probably stuck in Marquette and Creighton's cross. So like, I think, like I said, from a motivation standpoint, I don't think Creighton's going to be lacking for it. And certainly St. John's is they're struggling right now. So that what better way to get on track than to take down Creighton. Right. So I think this is going to be a really interesting match because both teams will have a reason to bring an edge, some extracurricular edge to it just beyond the, how are we playing? What do we need to do? What do we need to focus on? Um, so it'll be, I think that'll be fun. Unfortunately, there isn't a broadcast plan for right now. So it might be one of these unseen matches that we just watch on live stats. Hopefully they figure that out. And I don't know. FS1, I mean, what are you doing on Saturday, on Friday? Like put a volleyball match on. <clears throat> um, I digress. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> tactically, though, St. John's usually is pretty talented. One of the, They're usually one of the more talented teams in the big East, especially offensively. Um, what is Creighton, what is Creighton probably focusing on in scout for this match with, uh, with, you know, St. John's talent level. Um, I think blocking will be a big thing. And I mean, that really hasn't been a problem for Creighton just I mean, kind of like learning the schemes of where St. John's is going to go majority of the time. I mean, they'll feed their outsides a lot. Um, they're pretty outside heavy. So um, just kind of like knowing where to set up, I guess, from the blocking standpoint. And then serving passes away. I mean, that's how you win games. So yeah, for sure. that'll be a point of emphasis, I am sure. Um, Seton Hall has been down a little bit. I mean, Creighton's kind of whooped them. So, again, you'll probably have to deal with that East Coast edge a little bit. But Seton Hall, they don't really they, – they don't – they haven't had a lot of size the last few years. So it's usually like a, a – you know, a physical yin and yang match, right? Like they're going to be really scrappy. If they can get some digs, they can keep the ball up. If they can um, disrupt you from the service line, then it'll be, you know, they'll, they'll give themselves a chance. But if Creighton's in system offensively um, and getting Seton Hall out of system, then their block is set up. And then that's where the physicality kind of takes over, right? So is that kind of what you're looking at in this matchup with the Pirates is just the contrast of, can Creighton stay in system and impose their physicality versus if Seton Hall um, is disrupted from the service line and is covering the floor really well um, and making it tough for Creighton to get uh, to terminate? Yeah, I think Creighton will have to win the serve and pass game and then they'll have to stick, I mean, with that parity that they've established, I think. Um, like you said, St. John's is typically, or 
Seton Hall is typically a scrappy team. Yeah. Um, so from a defensive standpoint, if they have a lot of different options um, coming at them and kind of different, you know, gaps in their blocks, just disrupted by Creighton's parity, I think that'll really help Creighton. But yeah, just to serve and pass again and keeping them in system so they can run their offense really well. I think uh, Walsh Gym has been a, a pretty raucous environment too. Like Seton Hall's had some good crowds for the Creighton matches there. What do you, what's, uh, what's ahead of the Jays in terms of what they'll face from an environment standpoint there? Yeah, I think, I think Seton Hall is a pretty like emotional team too. I think this weekend, yes. both these teams can kind of like ride their wave of are we up or are we down? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of see that extended. And even from the coaching staffs, I think a lot of that is established. So it'll just be interesting. I mean, sometimes their crowds, yeah, it's a smaller um, arena and their crowds can be loud and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a chippy environment at times. Um, so it'll be interesting. Hopefully um, they'll come out on top and play really well, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, what they do and kind of how Seton Hall shows up for the match. Yeah. I learned there were yellow cards in volleyball because of Seton Hall. So that's, yeah, you're not, <laughs> you're not lying about the emotional chippiness there. No. So from Creighton's standpoint, does that mean just stay level-headed no matter what, don't let it get to you? Or do you feed into it a little bit? Do you try to get them, do you try to get them emotional because then it means they're not playing as well? Maybe. Um, you know, I think Creighton really plays well when they're just like steady Eddie, like very level-headed. So yeah. And I think you've seen that kind of been like the identity of several Creighton teams. Um, so maybe you have one or two people on Creighton side who kind of, you know, start that up and get a little bit fire um, under everyone. But I don't know. I mean, I think you just try to like stay true to who you are and just like play steady and consistent. And then, I mean, see how the match goes on and see kind of what Seton Hall throws at you. So just control what you can control, not the emotional stuff. Happen on yeah. That that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that uh, should wrap up what we got for um, this weekend. Again, you know, another 2-0 weekend for the Jays, more ice cream. Um, does that mean you have to get into the – like, do you, is that an extra workout with Brad? Like, how, like, if you have an ice cream chip, is he just, like, dreading what Monday's like now or how does that work out? It's like, guys, I wish you would just, like, choose, a like, a, you know, a different meal plan for celebration or what uh no i mean that's like the best part of road trips right when you win because if you're at yeah. home and you get two sweeps you're not getting ice cream usually yeah um so it's a road trip thing but no <laughs> it'll it's all worth it i think the after match ice cream is always good for sure i, I think creighton's gonna set a record for ice cream trips this year if they keep winning because they've been on the road a lot <laughs> the last week, but... yeah see if they can yeah, so we'll we'll uh we'll talk to you again next week then. Um Megan, always appreciate your insights. Like I said, she's the brains of this operation. Um so yeah, Creighton's got St. John's next Friday, October 1st at 6 p.m. in Queens. Um that one doesn't have a broadcast yet, but if that changes, obviously we'll let you know on Saturday, then they'll turn around and play uh in South Orange, South Orange, New Jersey at Seton Hall. That one's on Flow Sports at five o'clock. Um and that'll wrap up Creighton's road trip to begin conference play. And then after that, they'll have a homestand against DePaul and Marquette, which will probably be a pretty big match on October 10th, no doubt. So, um, I, again, appreciate the listeners tuning in. Um, appreciate Megan for her insights. And uh, we will talk to you guys again next week.